We honor President James E. Faust. We miss him. His beloved wife, Ruth, is with us this morning, and we express our love to her. And we welcome those who have been named to the positions as President Hinckley has outlined them. Speaking of all of us, or for all of us, who have been sustained today, we pledge to do our very best to be worthy of the trust placed in us. We have sustained the general officers of the Church in a solemn, sacred procedure. This common procedure occurs whenever leaders or teachers are called or released from office, or whenever there is a reorganization in a stake or a ward or a quorum or in the auxiliary. It is unique to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We always know who is called to lead or teach and have the opportunity to sustain or to oppose the action. It did not come as an invention of man, but was set out in the revelations. It shall not be given to anyone to go forth to preach my gospel or to build up my church, <clears throat> except he be ordained by someone who has authority, and it is known to the church that he has authority and has been regularly ordained by the heads of the church. In this way, the church is protected from any impostor who would take over a quorum, a ward, a stake, or the church. There's another principle unique to the Lord's Church. All positions to lead, to teach, are filled by members of the church. This, too, has been set forth in the scriptures. One verse in the Doctrine and Covenants established the order of the leadership in the church for all time. It was unprecedented, certainly not the custom of Christian churches then or now. Wherefore, I, the Lord, knowing the calamity which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from the heavens and gave him commandments. The weak things of the world shall come forth and break down the mighty and strong ones but that every man might speak in the name of God the Lord, even the Savior of the world, that faith also might increase in the earth, that my everlasting covenant might be established, that the fullness of my gospel might be proclaimed by the weak and the simple and to the ends of the world and before kings and rulers. Behold, I am God, and have spoken these commandments are of me, and were given unto my servants in their weakness after the manner that they might come to understanding. I'm deeply grateful <clears throat> for those scriptures which explain that the Lord will use the weak things of the world. Each member is responsible to accept the call to serve. President J. Reuben Clark, Jr. said, In the service of the Lord, it is not where we serve, but how. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, one takes the place to which one is duly called, which place one neither seeks nor declines. The Church has no professional clergy. The call to leadership position worldwide drawn are drawn from the congregation. We have no seminaries for the training of professional leaders. Everything that is done in the Church the leading, the teaching, the calling, 
the ordaining, the praying, the singing, preparation of the sacrament, the counseling, and everything else is done by ordinary members, the weak things of the world. We see in the Christian churches their struggle to fill the need for clergy. We do not have that problem. Once the gospel is preached and the church is organized, there is an inexhaustible supply of faithful brothers and sisters who have that testimony and are willing to answer the call to serve. They commit themselves to the work of the Lord and to live the standards required of them. Members have had the Holy Ghost conferred upon them after their baptism. The Holy Ghost will teach and comfort them. They are then prepared to receive guidance and direction and correction, whatever their position or needs require. This principle sets the Church on a different course from all other Christian churches in the world. We find ourselves in the unusual position of having an endless supply of teachers and leaders among every nation and kindred and tongue and people all over the world. There is a unique equality among the members. No one of us is to consider himself of more value than the other. God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. When I was a young man, I was a home teacher to a very old sister. She taught me from her life experience. When she was a little girl, President Brigham Young came to Brigham City, a great event in the town named after him. To honor him, the primary children, all dressed in white, were lined up along the road coming into town, each with a basket of flowers to spread before the carriage of the president of the church. Something displeased her. Instead of throwing her blossoms, she kicked a rock in front of the carriage, saying, he ain't one bit better than my grandpa Loveland. <clears throat> that was overheard, and she was severely scolded. I'm very sure that President Brigham Young would be the first to agree with little Janie Steed. He would not consider himself to be worth more than Grandpa Loveland or any other worthy member of the Church. The Lord himself was very plain. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. The same is to be appointed to be the greatest, notwithstanding he is the least, and the service of all. Years ago, when I first received an appointment that resulted in my picture being the newspapers, one of my high school teachers, evidently quite astonished, was heard to say, that just proves that you can't tell by looking at a frog how high he's going to jump. <clears throat> the image of that frog sitting in the mud instead of jumping illustrates how inadequate I have felt when facing responsibilities that have come to me. These feelings fix it so that thereafter one can never feel superior to anyone not anyone. For a long time, something else puzzled me. Forty-six years ago, I was a 37-year-old seminary supervisor. My church calling was as an assistant teacher in a class in the Linden Ward. 
To my great surprise, I was called to meet with President David O. McKay. He took both of my hands in his and called me to be one of the general authorities, an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. A few days later, I came to Salt Lake City to meet with the First Presidency to be set apart as one of the general authorities of the Church. This was the first time I had met with the First Presidency. President David O. McKay and his counselors, President Hugh B. Brown and President Henry D. Moyle. President McKay explained that one of the responsibilities of an assistant to the Twelve was to stand with the Quorum of the Twelve as a special witness and to bear testimony that Jesus is the Christ. What he said next overwhelmed me. Before we proceed to set you apart, I ask you to bear your testimony to us. We want you to know. We want to know if you have that witness. I did the best I could. I bore my testimony the same as I might have in fast and testimony meeting in my ward. To my surprise, the brethren of the presidency seemed pleased and proceeded to confer the office upon me. That puzzled me greatly, for I had supposed that someone called to such an office would have an unusual, different, and greatly enlarged testimony and spiritual power. It puzzled me for a long time, until finally I could see that I already had what was required, an abiding testimony in my heart of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith, that we have a Heavenly Father and that Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. I may not have known all about it, but I did have a testimony, and I was willing to learn. I was perhaps no different than those spoken of in the Book of Mormon. And whoso cometh unto me with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, him will I baptize with fire and the Holy Ghost, even as the Lamanites, because of their faith in me at the time of their conversion, were baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost, and they knew it not. Over the years, I have come to see how powerfully important that simple testimony is. I have come to understand that our Heavenly Father is the Father of our spirits. He is a Father with all the tender love of a Father. Jesus said, For the Father himself loveth you, because ye have loved me and have believed that I came out of God. Some years ago, I was with President Marion G. Romney meeting with mission presidents and their wives in Geneva, Switzerland. He told them that 50 years before, as a missionary boy in Australia, late one afternoon he had gone to a library to study. When he walked out, it was night. He looked up into the starry sky, and it happened. The Spirit touched him, and a certain witness was born in his soul. He told the, those mission presidents, that he did not know any more surely then, as a member of the First Presidency, that God the Father lives, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, and that the fullness of the gospel had been restored, as he did as a missionary boy 50 years before in Australia. He said that his testimony had changed 
in that it was much easier to get an answer from the Lord. The Lord's presence was nearer, and he knew the Lord much better than he had 50 years before. There's the natural tendency to look at those who are sustained to presiding positions, to consider them to be higher than and of more value to the church or to their families than the ordinary member. Somehow we feel they are worth more to the Lord than we are. It just does not work that way. It would be very disappointing to my wife and me if we suppose that any one of our children would think that we think we were of more worth to the family or to the church than they are. Or to think that the one, one calling in the church was esteemed over another. Or that any calling would be thought to be less important. Recently, one of our sons was sustained as a ward mission leader. His wife told us how thrilled he was at the call. It fits the very heavy demands of his work. He has the missionary spirit and will find good use for the Spanish, which he has kept uh, polished from his missionary days. We were also very, very pleased at his call. What my son and his wife are doing with their little children transcends anything they could do in the church or out. No service could be more important to the Lord than the devotion they give to one another and to their little children. And so it is with all our other children. The ultimate end of all activity in the church centers in the home and the family. As general authorities of the church, we're just the same as you are, and you are just the same as we are. You have the same access to powers of revelation for your families and for your work and for your callings as we do. It is also true that there is an order to the things in the church. When you are called to an office, then you receive revelation that belongs to that office and that would not be given to others. No member of the church is esteemed by the Lord as more or less than any other. It just does not work that way. Remember, he is our Father, our Father. The Lord is no respecter of persons. We are not worth more to the unrolling of the Lord's work than we're brother and sister Toatai Palitua in Nukualofa Tonga, our brother and sister Carlos Sofuentes in Santiago, Chile, our brother and sisters Peter Dalebout in the Netherlands, our brother and sister Tatsui Sato in Japan, are hundreds of others I have met while traveling about the world. It just does not work that way. And so the church moves on. It is carried upon the shoulders of worthy members living ordinary lives among ordinary families, guided by the Holy Ghost and the light of Christ which is in them. I bear witness that the gospel is true and that the worth of souls is great in the sight of God, every soul, and that we are blessed to be members of the church. I have the witness that would qualify me for the calling I have. I've had it since I met the First Presidency those many years ago, and bear it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I bring you the love and greetings of the faithful saints in the South Pacific.
The first principle of the gospel is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This includes faith in His divine birth and heavenly heritage, and faith that under His Father's direction He created the earth and all things that dwell therein. At the very heart of our faith in Christ is the assurance that through His atoning sacrifice, though our sins may be as scarlet, they can become as white as snow. Faith in Christ includes the knowledge that following His crucifixion He arose from the tomb and His resurrection made it possible for all mankind to live again. Faith in Christ is the assurance that He and His Heavenly Father appeared to a young man, Joseph Smith, paving the way for the restoration of all things in the dispensation of the fullness of times. Jesus Christ is the head of the Church which bears His holy name. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is evident when we believe His teachings and claim His exceeding great and precious promises and become partakers of the divine nature. Innumerable promises are proclaimed by His prophets, and the Lord assures us that My word shall not pass away but shall all be fulfilled, whether by Mine own voice or by the voice of My servants. It is the same. In these latter days, the Lord revealed that when we obtain any blessing from heaven, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. The Lord makes generous promises, and He certifies that He will not vary from these promises. For, said He, I, the Lord, am bound when ye do what I say, but when ye do not what I say, ye have no promise. The Lord's countless exceeding great and precious promises include forgiveness of our sins when we confess them and forsake them. Opening the windows of heaven is a promise claimed by those who pay a faithful tithe, and finding great treasures of knowledge accrues to those who observe the word of wisdom. Becoming unspotted from the world is a promise to those who keep the Sabbath day holy. Divine guidance and inspiration are promised to those who feast upon the words of Christ and who liken the scriptures unto themselves. The Lord also promised that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, which is right, believing that ye shall receive, behold, it shall be given unto you. We are also promised that the Holy Ghost will be our constant companion when we let virtue garnish our thoughts unceasingly. We can also claim the spiritually liberating promise of fasting, which will loose the bands of wickedness, undo our heavy burdens, and break every yoke. Those who are sealed in holy temples and who faithfully keep their covenants will receive God's glory, which shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Sometimes in our earthly impatience we may lose sight of the Lord's precious promises and disconnect our obedience from the fulfillment of these promises. The Lord has declared, Who am I, saith the Lord, that have promised and not fulfilled? I command, and men obey not. I revoke, and they, and they receive not the blessing. Then they say in their hearts, This is not the work of the Lord, for His promises are not fulfilled. But woe unto such, for their reward lurketh beneath, and not from above. Important components of faith are patience, long-suffering, and enduring to the end. The Apostle Paul recounts the faith of Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, concluding that these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, 
and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. These faithful saints knew that this earth life was a journey, not at their final destination. When Abram was seventy-five years old, the Lord promised him, I will make of thee a great nation, and this at a time when he and Sariah as yet had no children. He was eighty-six when Sariah's handmaiden Hagar bare Ishmael to Abraham. And the Lord changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sariah's name to Sarah. And when he was a hundred and she was ninety, they were promised that Sarah would bear a son to be named Isaac. Amidst their disbelief, the Lord asked, Is anything too hard for the Lord? And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age. And the Lord promised, I will multiply thy seed as the stars in the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. Young Isaac grew into manhood, and when he was forty years old he married Rebekah. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife, because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah his wife conceived, and bore twin sons, Esau and Jacob, when their father was sixty years old. As Jacob matured and became of appropriate age, his parents sent him to the household of Laban, where he would meet Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Jacob told Laban, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had for her. You'll recall how Laban beguiled young Jacob into first marrying Leah and then Rachel. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened up her womb, but Rachel remained barren. And Leah bore Reuben, then Simeon, then Levi, and Judah. Meanwhile, Rachel remained childless. With ever-increasing envy and mounting desperation, one day Rachel explosively demanded of Jacob, Give me children or else I die. Leah subsequently bore two more sons and a daughter. The Apostle Peter testified, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. In this age of one-hour dry cleaning and one-minute fast food franchises, it may at times seem to some of us as though a loving Heavenly Father has misplaced our precious promises, or He's put them on hold, or filed them under the wrong name. Such were the feelings of Rachel. But with the passage of time, we encounter four of the most beautiful words in Holy Writ. And God remembered Rachel, and she was blessed with the birth of Joseph, and later the birth of Benjamin. And there are millions on the earth today who are descendants of Joseph, who have embraced the Abrahamic promise that through their efforts shall all the families of the earth be blessed, even with the blessings of the gospel, which are the blessings of salvation, even of eternal life. When heaven's promises sometimes seem afar off, I pray that each of us will embrace these exceeding great and precious promises and never let go. And just as God remembered Rachel, God will remember you. I so testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Why are we members of the only true church? Even though I cannot answer this question for all 13 million members of the church, I would like to express from my heart some answers that probably will fit with your own answers. Riches were not a part of my childhood. We were a family of five, my father and four siblings. My mother had passed away when I was five years old. My father's meager income was used to buy our food. The purchase of clothing was put off as long as possible. One day, somewhat bothered, I came up to my father and said, Daddy, why don't you buy me some shoes? Look at this. They are worn out, and you can see my big toe through the hole in the shoe. We'll fix that up, he replied, and with some black polish gave a shine to my shoes. Later on, he told me, Son, it's fixed up. No, I answered, you can still see my big toe. That can also be fixed, he told me. He again took the polish and put some on my toe. <laughs> and before long, it shined like my shoes. So it was that early on in life, I learned that happiness does not depend on money. As time went by, a pair of missionaries taught us the riches of the restored gospel, of the doctrine of the plan of salvation, and of eternal families. We were baptized, and when my father began his calling as district president, his first objective was to journey to the temple and receive the blessings which would come because of that sacrifice. It was a 15-day journey, covering 4,800 miles. A journey filled with difficulties and setbacks, highways in poor condition, uncomfortable buses, not even knowing the route, but with great hope in the ordinances we would participate in. Upon arriving in the city of Mesa, Arizona, we headed down an avenue, at the end of which we could see the house of the Lord, gleaming and beautiful. I remember the joy which filled our hearts. We all broke out in songs and praising, and tears ran down the cheeks of many saints. Later in the temple, we knelt as a family to hear the beautiful promises about an eternal family, with the certainty that our mother, though absent, was now our mother forever. And we felt the peace which comes from knowing that we are an eternal family. The promise of life eternal thus gave us the riches of eternity. Behold, he that had eternal life is rich. The restored Church gives to each home a priesthood holder with the power of God to bless. How many times I have been able to hear the soft, sweet voice of a little child at home say, Daddy, could you give me a blessing? And put my hands upon his or her head in moments of pain and difficulty and pronounce blessings of comfort and healing and see the power of the priesthood exercise its influence. And the next day, hear that little voice say, Thanks, Daddy. 
I slept just fine last night. We don't need to go out looking for someone having that power. It is among us. What a blessing to be able to teach this principle to our children. This is the only church upon the earth which offers such a blessing to families. Through this power, I was able to ordain each of my sons to the priesthood and thus give them the power of God to administer his ordinances. So then, this is also why I am a member of this church, because the power of the priesthood is again upon the earth and has reached even unto our homes. The most valuable power we can possess is the treasure of a personal testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ. A testimony comes to us as we live a worthy life and seek it in prayer. And the Spirit shall be given unto you by the prayer of faith, our Lord counseled the prophet Joseph. When my son Daniel was six years old, he saw that I was worried because I had to attend a state conference. I was unsure about what to teach the saints. He came up to me and said, Daddy, that's really easy. That's how children see everything. Let's see, son, I told him. Since it's easy, tell me what I can talk to them about. Talk to them about prayer, he told me. That's a good subject, I told him. But they've heard a lot of talk about prayer. What could I tell them that's new? That's easy too, Daddy. First, tell them, before you start to talk to Heavenly Father, think about the things you want to tell Him. That sounds like a magnificent idea, I replied. And then, well, once you thought of it, tell it to Him. When you finish, wait and see if He has something to tell you. So, through our prayer, the Spirit speaks to our spirit and testifies to us of the reality of our Savior. I'm filled with wonder at the love my Savior Jesus Christ showed by descending from the heavenly mansions and coming to a world where the majority rejected his message. And even though they did not have the power to take his life, they condemned him to death. Christ paid for my sins, for my illnesses, afflictions, and sorrows, his pain was indescribable. Luke only makes mention that his sweat was as it were great drops of blood. Above all else, this is the reason for my membership in the Church, because the Holy Spirit has penetrated my heart and has made it known to me that Christ lives, that He is my Savior, that He paid for my sins, and that He has prepared the way so that if I live according to his precepts, I can enjoy all other promised blessings. A few weeks ago, my father also passed away, and now more than ever, I feel thankfulness to my God for the richness and beauty of his doctrine. Because family life can continue beyond the thresholds of death, because the royal priesthood has been restored upon the earth, and because the Spirit has spoken to my spirit, giving me a testimony that my Savior Jesus Christ lives, and that through His intercession I shall be able, in accordance to my faithfulness, to live for him, with Him. For these reasons, and others still, 
I am a member of the only true Church upon the face of the earth, and I shall be eternally grateful for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Each Sunday, from Mongolia to Manchester to Mississippi, the young women of the Church repeat these inspired words. We will be prepared to strengthen home and family, make and keep sacred covenants, receive the ordinances of the temple, and enjoy the blessings of exaltation. While this is the young women theme, it applies to all the youth in the Church. I hope I can help you, my young brothers and sisters, understand how powerful your individual actions can be in strengthening your home and family, no matter what your circumstances. I understand, for example, that many of you may be the only member of the Church in your family. For the strength of youth reminds us that being part of a family is a great blessing. Not all families are the same, but each is important in Heavenly Father's plan. All families need strengthening, from the ideal to the most troubled. That strengthening can come from you. In fact, in some families you may be the only source of spiritual strength. The Lord is depending on you to bring the blessings of the gospel into your family. It is important to establish patterns of righteousness in your own life which will enable you to set a good example for your family whatever form your family may take. The example of your righteous life will strengthen your family. President Hinckley gave the young women a simple four-point program in the General Young Women meeting last spring that will not only assure your happiness but will bless your family as well. He counseled each of us to pray, study, pay your tithing, and attend your meetings. Seeking the help of the Lord daily through prayer will bring great blessings to your family. Ask yourself, who in my family could benefit from my personal prayers? What could I do to support and encourage family prayer? As you personally study the scriptures, you will come to know the Savior and His teachings. From His example, you will know how to love, serve, and forgive members of your family. Consider how you could share your understanding of the scriptures with your family. On several occasions, President Hinckley has admonished us to get all of the education you can. Your education will benefit your family now and will surely bless your future family. What can you do now to plan and prepare for a good education? President Hinckley taught us while tithing is paid with money, more importantly, it is paid with faith. Are you experiencing the blessings of paying tithing with faith? As you obey this commandment, the Lord will open the windows of heaven to bless you and your family. How can attending meetings, particularly sacrament meeting, bless you and your family? Regularly partaking of the sacrament will help you keep your baptismal covenant. As you live worthily and renew this covenant weekly, you will qualify for the guidance of the Spirit. The Holy Ghost will guide you and will teach you what you should do to bless your family. As you commit to these patterns of righteousness, you will be blessed throughout your life and will develop the spiritual foundation from which you can strengthen your family by example. In 1 Timothy, Paul teaches us about example. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. The family section in For the Strength of Youth gives some great ways you can be an example of the believers in your own home. Be cheerful, helpful, and considerate of others. 
Honor your parents by showing love and respect for them and by being obedient. Participate in family activities and traditions, including family prayer, family home evenings, and family scripture reading. These traditions strengthen and unify families. Strengthen your relationships with your brothers and sisters. They can become your closest friends. Example is often the best teacher. Who in your family could benefit from your example? A brother, a sister, your mom or dad? Let me tell you an experience from my own life and how my brother's patterns of righteousness and example resulted in our family being eternally blessed. My brother and I were born of goodly parents who loved and made great sacrifices for the two of us, but our family had not been blessed with the sacred ordinances of the temple. Many years ago, on a day in late December, we received a letter from my brother who was serving in the California North Mission. The outside of the envelope cautioned, Do not open until you are all together. As my father, mother, and I gathered to open his seven-page typewritten letter, we read his testimony of prayer. He taught us the doctrine of eternal families from the scriptures. We read how his experiences of how fasting and prayer helped his investigators prepare to receive the ordinance of baptism. He assured us that our family, too, could be blessed through fasting and prayer. Then came his challenge. The bishop of the Stanford Ward spoke on a topic a couple of months ago which really hit home. The bishop's talk made me stop and realize the goals I want to accomplish in life. Uppermost in my mind is the goals I want to achieve with my own family. That, of course, being sealed to you, Mom and Dad for time and all eternity in the house of the Lord. I love you very much and want our family to be together in the eternities. Then were his close, his, came his closing words. May the Lord guide you in this important decision, and may you pray together as a family, is my prayer. As a teenager, I, too, had prayed for this blessing to come to my family. This letter now brought hope for my righteous desire. The New Year was an opportunity for our family to make some changes. In the many months that followed, we established family patterns of righteousness. We prayed together, studied about the ordinances of the temple, paid our tithing, and attended our meetings regularly as a family. Shortly after my brother returned from his mission, we were prepared to receive the ordinances of the temple. I knew the Lord heard and answered our prayers as we surrounded the holy altar in the temple and were sealed as a family for time and all eternity. Can you make a difference in your family? Yes, you can. I often wonder about my family's eternal progression if my brother had not written that powerful letter. His patterns of righteousness and example changed our lives. Elder Robert D. Hales said, If the example we have received from our parents was not good, it is our responsibility to break the cycle. Each person can learn a better way and, in so doing, bless the lives of family members now and teach correct traditions for the generations that follow. Remember, the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of His children. Eternal families are made up of individuals. Do your part to build a happy home. Establish patterns of righteousness in your life and be an example of the believers. The Lord is depending on you to assist in the exaltation of your eternal family. I know that Jesus Christ lives. 
He knows you and loves you. He has blessed me and my family, and I know he will bless you and yours. Of this I humbly testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. A couple of years ago, a humor columnist for a local newspaper wrote on a serious and thought-provoking subject. I quote from this article, Being a go-to church Mormon living in Utah means living so close to fellow ward members that not much happens that the entire congregation doesn't know in about five minutes tops. He continues, This kind of cheek-to-jowl living can be intrusive. It also happens to be one of our greatest strengths. The author goes on to say, At work Tuesday, I caught the noon broadcast on television. A van had been obliterated in a traffic accident. A young mother and two small children were being rushed to the emergency rooms by helicopter and ambulance. Hours later, I learned that the van belonged to the young couple living across the street from me in Harriman, Eric and Gina Quigley. Not only do I see the Quigleys in church, we ate dinner with them at a neighborhood party the night before the crash. Our grandkids played with daughters Bianca and Miranda. Fourteen-month-old Miranda suffered serious head injuries and died three days later at Primary Children's Hospital. Here's where all that noisiness pays off. Although the accident occurred several miles from home, the dust literally had not settled before someone from the ward stopped and was pulling through the wreckage. The rest of the ward knew about it before the cops and the paramedics showed up. Ward members went to all three hospitals, contacted Eric at work, and organized into labor squads. People who didn't get in on the immediate need level were frantic for some way to help. In 48 hours, the Quigley yard was mowed, home cleaned, laundry done, refrigerator stocked, relatives fed, and a trust was set up in the local bank. We would have given their dog a bath if they had one. The author concludes with this insightful comment. There is a positive side to the congregational microscope my ward lives under. What happens to a few happens to all. The compassion and service rendered by caring ward members as a result of this tragic accident are not unique to this particular incident. The Book of Mormon Alma explains to prospective followers of Christ as ye are desirous to come unto the fold of God and be called His people, and are willing to bear one another's burdens that they may be light, yea, and are willing to mourn with those that mourn, and yea, comfort those that stand need of comfort, then, as Alma explained, then, then they were prepared for baptism. This scripture lays the foundation for ministering and caring in a most compassionate way. The ward is organized to minister to the needs of those who face even the most difficult and heartbreaking trials. The bishop, often considered the father of the ward, is there to provide counsel and resources, but also close at hand are Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood leaders, the Relief Society presidency, home teachers, visiting teachers, and the ward members—always the ward members. All are there to minister comfort, and show compassion in times of need. In my own immediate neighborhood, we have had our share of heart-wrenching tragedies. In October 1998, 19-year-old Zach Newton, who lived only three houses east from us, was killed in a tragic automobile accident. Less than two years later, 
In July, 19-year-old Andrea Richards, who lived directly across from the Newtons, was killed in an automobile accident. One Saturday afternoon in July 2006, Travis Bastian, a 28-year-old returned missionary, and his 15-year-old sister Desiree, who lived across the street and two houses north of us, were killed in a terrible automobile accident. One month later, in August 2006, 32-year-old Eric Gold, who grew up in the whole house next door to us, suffered a premature death. And others in this neighborhood have suffered also heart-wrenching experiences, privately endured and known only to themselves and God. With the loss of five young people, one might assume that this is an unusual number of trials for one small neighborhood. I choose to think the number only seems large because of a close, caring ward whose members know when there is a pressing need. It is a ward with members who are following the admonition of Alma and the Savior, members who care and love and bear one another's burdens, members willing to mourn with those that mourn, members willing to comfort in those in need of comfort, members who endure together. In each of these instances, we saw an outpouring of love, service, and compassion that was inspirational to all. Bishops arrived, home and visiting teachers went into action, and Melchizedek and Aaronic priesthood quorums and relief societies organized to take care of both spiritual and temporal needs. Refrigerators were stocked, houses cleaned, lawns mowed, shrubs trimmed, fences painted, blessings given, and soft shoulders were available for crying on. Members were everywhere. In every one of these instances, the family who lost a loved one expressed increased faith, increased love for the Savior, increased gratitude for the Atonement, and heartfelt thankfulness for an organization that responds to the deepest emotional and spiritual needs of its members. These families now speak how they got to know the Lord through their adversity. They relate many sweet experiences that grew out of their pain. They testify that blessings can emerge from heartbreak. They give praise to the Lord and would echo the words of Job, The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From bearing one another's burdens as ward members, we have learned several lessons. One, the Lord's organization is fully adequate to know and care for those with even the most dire emotional and spiritual needs. Two, adversity can bring us closer to God with a renewed and enlightened appreciation for prayer and the Atonement, which covers pain and suffering in all of their manifestations. Three, members who suffer tragedy firsthand often experience an increased past capacity for love, compassion, and understanding. They become the first, last, and often the most effective responders in giving comfort and showing compassion to others. Four, a ward as well as a family draws closer together as they endure together. What happens to one happens to all. And perhaps five most important, we can each be more compassionate and caring because we have each had our own personal trials and experiences to draw from. We can endure together. I rejoice in belonging to such a loving and caring organization. No one knows better how to bear one another's burdens, mourn with those that mourn, and comfort those who stand in need and comfort. 
I choose to call it enduring together. What happens to one happens to all. We endure together. May we be in an instrument enlightening the burden of others, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.